This is Ready or Not Prepares, the Disaster Preparedness Podcast, and I am your host, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we get started, I want to continue to bring you more content, discussion, and information on preparedness because disasters don't prepare, people do. So please follow and tell your friends, relatives, acquaintances to follow Ready or Not Prepares on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep building. You can also follow Ready or Not Prepares on um, other major platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and soon on Stitcher. I was um, actually going to make this episode um, two parts, in two parts, but I think I'm just going to have this discussion and we're just going to go right through. So it might be, this might be one of the lengthy ones, but I think it's a timely discussion and I think is really important. So let's get on to this week's episode. Today, we will be discussing tunnel vision, alternatives, and the COVID-19 injection. The COVID-19 injection. I mean, unless you live under a rock, and actually, even if you live under a rock, I'm certain you've heard about the COVID-19 injection. It is a part of our national dialogue. Actually, it's a part of our global dialogue because it's 24-7. It's 24-7 persistent persuasion to take the shot. And I am purposely using the term COVID-19 injection because there is some debate in different schools of thought as to if the biological product that is being administered is actually a vaccination. So let's look at the definition of vaccination. It reads, the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce immunity to a specific disease. Now, this injection does not necessarily produce immunity. As a matter of fact, it is nowhere stated that it even prevents the virus. When you do your research, there's a narrative out there that's, that reads, it says, it lowers the chances of you getting COVID-19. As a matter of fact, the CDC reports that COVID-19 infections in vaccinated people are much less severe than in unvaccinated people. So what does that say to you? It says you can get the virus even if vaccinated, but you won't feel so bad. Actually, I wanna take a second to play a clip of an interview with Dr. Fauci. 
Um, I think this was on CBS News, right? Um, I hope you can hear this. Just a brief clip. Thank you very much, Dr. Walensky. I'd like to spend a few minutes now talking about the concept of breakthrough infections. Can I have the first slide? I think it'll be important to put this into perspective with some definitions. A breakthrough infection or a vaccine failure is when a person contracts an infection despite being vaccinated against it. We see this with all vaccines in clinical trials and in the real world, no vaccine is 100% efficacious or effective, which means that you will always see breakthrough infections regardless of the efficacy of your vaccine. There's primary vaccine failure when the body actually doesn't amount an adequate immune response for a number of reasons. Could be immune status, health status, age, medications you're on, or something wrong with the vaccine, storage, delivery, composition. Secondary vaccine failure may occur when immunity fades over time. Now, a vaccine may fail also if a person is exposed to a new or a different strain or Ooh. variant. For example, influenza is the that most part. common of this. I'm going to stop it which here. Which mutates rapidly and drifts genetically. <laughs> uh, and I'm not being disrespectful, but yada, yada, yada. Now, the new spin is breakthrough infections, which is another way of saying there is no effective immunity produced by the injection and injected people can still be infected with the COVID-19 virus. There it is. No immunity. Then dare we call it a vaccination. I use the term tunnel vision. We all know what tunnel vision is, right? The definition, and I'll be... I'll be uh, referring to a lot of definitions because I want us to be precise in, or I want to be precise in getting this over to you, but I want us to be precise in our understanding as well. So the definition of tunnel vision, the tendency to focus exclusively on a single or limited goal or point of view, extreme narrowness of viewpoint single-minded concentration on one objective. Question, why is there no talk of alternatives to the COVID-19 injection? How many of you have heard by now of the emergency use authorization? Or you might hear it referred to as EUA. How many of you know what it is? So with the emergence of COVID-19 on March 27, 2020, Secretary Alex M. Azar II of Health and Human Services declared a public health emergency and signed an emergency use authorization declaration under Section 564 of the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. And that's usually referred to as the FDNC Act. The FDNC Act states, 
an EUA permits the use of unapproved medical products and devices or the use of approved medical products in unapproved ways to diagnose, treat, or prevent serious diseases or conditions caused by chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear agents. So essentially, um, that is saying that there are different standards for EUA medications or products than of those that have been approved by the FDA. It's like a lower standard. Now, there were three COVID-19 vaccines that received emergency use authorization in the United States. They were Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. All of these, but Johnson & Johnson, have applied for FDA approval, which means all of these injections are still under the EUA. So to date, I think Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna have sought approval from the FDA, but I don't think the FDA to date has responded. Let's discuss the law as it relates to the COVID-19 injection. Let's discuss 21 U.S. Code Section 360 BBB-3, which allows for the use of unapproved medical products in emergencies. And before we go further, let me make this disclaimer. Contrary to popular belief, I am not an attorney. In brief, the U.S. Code is essentially federal laws or laws that have been enacted by Congress. They are general or permanent laws of the United States. So I'm gonna read this code to you. I think I'll read it once through and then again to extract the relevant language as it relates to the topic of this episode. Again, it is 21 U.S. Code Section 360 BBB-3 entitled Authorization for Medical Products for Use in Emergencies. It reads, conditions of authorization, appropriate conditions designed to ensure that individuals to whom the product is administered are informed that the secretary has authorized the emergency use of the product to of the significant known and potential benefits and risks of such use and of the extent to which such benefits and risks are unknown, and three, of the option to accept or refuse administration of the product, of the consequences, if any, of refusing administration of the product, and of the alternatives to the product that are available and of their benefits and risks. Okay, so let me extract this. 21 U.S. Code, Section 360 BBB-3, Federal Law states that individuals to whom the product, and in this case, we're talking about the COVID-19 injection 
is administered are informed of the option to accept or refuse administration of the product and of the alternatives to the product that are available. I don't know many people who have been given those options and there is no discussion, if any, anywhere, if, it, if there is, it's underground, of any alternative to the product. Mainstream, there is no discussion of alternatives. I don't think I've even heard the word alternatives, the term alternatives, as it relates to COVID-19 injections on any mainstream media. So do you now understand why I used the term tunnel vision when referring to this topic? Remember, the most important part of preparedness is knowledge. Because when you have proper knowledge, then you can make the best decisions for your survival. So considering the federal law, considering the fact that the COVID-19 injection is still unapproved by the FDA, we're still at a place that the only conversation is that of getting the COVID-19 injection or making sure that everyone on the planet gets it. I mean, the persistent persuasion is out of control. There are marketing campaigns surrounding it. There are college enrollment requirements surrounding it. There are different corporations that are requiring their, their employees to have it. There are hospitals that are having lawsuits now who are facing lawsuits because they are requiring it. And let's not forget what I'm, I'm going to say, this is, this is a passive turn for me, what is passively being considered as incentives, they're surrounding it. I mean, let's talk about the incentives for taking the injection so far, because I've never witnessed anything like this in all my turns around the sun. There have been free donuts offered. There have been marijuana or weed offered. There has been free beer. Um, isn't it Ohio that has a $5 million lottery? Um, I just saw a commercial from somewhere that they had like a five-part lottery, like every Wednesday they give a million dollars or something like that. Um, their cash prizes, cash pri prizes were offered in New York, in Oregon, um, I think West Virginia, New Mexico, California. Um, free Super Bowl tickets have been offered. Free, other free sports event tickets like the Mets and the Yankees. What else? There has been uh, reduced prison sentences offered. So 
you get a get out of jail for free card if you take this injection. It goes on and on. The most like out of control thing that I, I heard for me was that children as young as 12 do not need parental consent to get an injection. And the latest is black barbershops and beauty salons. Now they are being pushed to be vaccine providers, which brings us to now talking about alternatives. Because contrary to popular belief or the non-disclosure thereof, there are alternatives. There are many other treatments to COVID-19 that are part of the discussion in many medical circles in the United States and abroad. So let's, I'll, I'll just name a few um, for your research. And please excuse my pronunciation of some of these because as I'm, I'm not a lawyer, I'm also not a medical doctor. So please excuse my pronunciation. Um, now, you may have heard about Paximune. Paximune is a trade name for interferon. And interferon is the medication that Cuba used to control the virus in its population. There is hydroxychloroquine. If you recall, Hydroxychloroquine is the drug that President Trump referred to early on in the pandemic. And I think he bought, you know, like a, a whole load of um, shipments or something. And it came under some type of political attack. I'm not sure what happened to it, but it's definitely an alternative. As a matter of fact, it was frontlined in India as their basic treatment and prevention approach. So was it in Italy and Greece as well? And there is widespread use of hydroxychloroquine in Africa. Remdesivir is another alternative. Now you may have heard about remdesivir because it's actually the only drug that has been approved by or licensed by the Federal Drug Administration to treat COVID-19. However, it is for hospitalized patients, not for those treating the disease at home. I think it's sold under the brand name, and I'm not gonna pronounce this correctly, Beclory, which is um, usually like an antiviral drug. So remdesivir is, has definitely been a part of the conversation for, you know, since, since the pandemic initially started. There is a Japanese drug called favipiravir. Now it's been used for years in Japan to treat influenza. And they say it's very similar to remdesivir. Um, and I think that um, Russia, India, Pakistan, 
and other countries have definitely used that as their treatment approach. And they say it's like Tamiflu, how we use Tamiflu early on um, when we get symptoms for the flu. Um, they say it is similar to Tamiflu, but except it's for COVID-19. There is a drug um, that is being, that is actually in clinical trials by a Canadian research group, and it's called Cultracine or Cultracine. Um, it is actually being run as one of the largest clinical trials on people who've been recently diagnosed with COVID-19. And, um, again, so it's in clinical and, and let me say this, you know, it can take a while to go through the phases for actual approval. We can't confuse it with the warp speed in which the COVID-19 injection was developed. Um, you know, I hope we don't really get into the practice of developing any type of medication or new drug without it going through the phases of clinical trials and the different groups that it should be um, tested on, et cetera, and seeing what the results are and going back to the drawing board. But I digress. Um, and I have one more, and that is ivermectin. Ivermectin is a drug that showed promise for COVID-19 treatment, um, but the FDA did not and has not approved it. But you definitely hear and are hearing more and more about ivermectin in medical circles. In addition to the drugs, there are, you know, a few treatments or treatment approaches that um, are being researched um, and trialed. One is plasma injection. So the theory of plasma injection is that you use the antibodies of people who have recovered from coronavirus. You take their blood separate the plasma that contains the antibodies and inject it into the COVID-19 patients. Um, so there are quite a few treatments um, that are being looked at um, that deliver antibodies to the immune system. Researchers are looking into those. In Australia, there is a trial for a needle-free option um, to the COVID-19 injection. I think it's given in like oral liquid, something like a cough syrup form. And they say it's similar to a probiotic. I think this can be found if you want to do your research under the nucleus network. And they are in phase two of clinical trials. So I'm going to get off, go off track a little, but I'm really on track. But I want us to not lose sight of the experimentation aspect of these COVID-19 injections in terms of human rights and safety. People 
as a matter of human rights are permitted or allowed to decide what happens to their bodies. It's human rights. So I want to read to you something that I found really interesting. It's an overarching principle of the Nuremberg Code. And it reads, we should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior forms of constraint or coercion, and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him or her to make an understanding and enlightened decision. I won't go in depth on the Nuremberg Code in this podcast, but in brief, it is a code that was formulated about 88 years ago in 1947 in Nuremberg, Germany. And it had much to do with the experimentation of medical procedures and medications on unwilling body of people. And out of it came um, a trial. They called it the doctor's trials. And in that trial, um, there were American judges who established a set of principles that have now been extended into general codes of medical ethics internationally. Having said that, there are a few medical doctors and experts who are now coming out and speaking about how COVID-19 treatment was handled in the United States and even worldwide. Um, and they're speaking about, you know, things like the lack of patient care and the lack of, of you know, medical research and discussion, the lack of medical panels, just the overall handling of the pandemic initially. And, uh, and up until this point, there are doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough, who has strong testimony and writings about the handling of COVID-19, the COVID-19 injection, and alternatives to the COVID-19 injection. Dr. McCullough speaks on the power of using certain medicines in combination to combat the different symptoms that come with COVID-19. And that theory is very much like, you know, when HIV or AIDS first came out, HIV was treated with a cocktail. The cocktail was used to treat the symptoms of the HIV virus, right? And so that's pretty much what the concept or theory is um, today for COVID-19. It's that there are many symptoms that come with COVID-19. Um, if you recall, you, it's it's the headaches, it's congestion, it's respiratory issues, it is body aches, 
It is um, the, the loss of smell. So again, the theory is to give multi, take a multi-drug approach and give drugs that treat the symptoms. Like there's not just one drug that can treat all the symptoms. In addition to Dr. Peter McCullough, there are other doctors like Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Paul Marek. They are founders of Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. There's a Dr. Andrew Hill, who happens to be a researcher and consultant to the World Health Organization. And there's a Dr. Jean-Jacques Rajter. And he's had successful treatments of his patients using hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc sulfate, which is the multi-drug um, approach. And, you know, overall, the doctors who use this multi-drug approach, they usually use um, like a steroid, an antibiotic, and then, you know, other things like blood thinners or other drugs as alternatives to the COVID-19 injection. So there are some treatments out here and there are clinical trials being administered, but we're not hearing that side of the conversation. Where are the briefings and updates about such findings? Instead, there's tunnel vision, persistent persuasion, narrow-mindedness. I mean, some might use the aggressive word of coercion to some extent. One goal, one objective. And let's not forget about the incentives. And um, an additional thought. I did want to make sure that I um, talked about or covered, and that is there have been and are many variants of COVID-19. We all know that it's constantly mutating. So since viruses mutate so rapidly, my question is what variant or variants are being treated by the vaccine? So I don't know, is the booster shot like another ride on a merry-go-round? Like, you know, for every variant, you, you just get, you know, you know, another booster shot. And, and can they keep up? Because quite frankly, there has been a, quite a few variants. Um, there has, there, let me, let me go over a few. There was the B.1.17 which was detected in the United States in December of 2020, like the end of December, 2020, that came out of the, uh, it was first detected in the UK. There's the B.1.351. Detected in the United States, initially detected in South Africa. There's the P.1. Again, all of these are in the United States or have been detected in the United States. Now, the P.1 was initially identified in travelers from Brazil. 
there was the B.1.427 and the B.1.429. They called this the Epsilon. These two variants were first identified in California. They have variants of interest that are still being established. But let me explain once I go over these names. So it's very much like um, in natural disasters when you have hurricane season, um, there's a way that they set up the naming of the hurricanes, right? And at a point they start using the Greek alphabet, but that's pretty much what is happening now with the COVID-19 variants. They are now using the, the Greek alphabet to identify them or give them names, right? So you have the Zeta. Zeta is the P.2 variant. It was uh, first documented in Brazil. You have the Eta, and that's the B.1.525. And that was um, pretty much spreading in New York. You have the Theta, that's the P.3, which was first documented in the Philippines. You had the Iota, which is the B.1.526. That was another spreader in New York. And you had the cap, the Kappa, I'm sorry. You have the Kappa. The Kappa is the B.1.617.1. And that's, if you've been watching the news, that's the one that was prevalent in India. And then recently out of India came the Delta variant B.1.617.2. In terms of critical thinking, it brings me to my next question, which is, does the effectiveness of the vaccine change if the variants do. I think I've covered much, um, but in terms of preparedness, if the level of tunnel vision is discomforting to you, if this persistent persuasion approach or coercion, if you wanna call it that, is unnerving to you, do your research on alternative treatments for the COVID-19 injection. Remember, by federal law, under the EUA, you have the option to refuse administration of the product, and you have the right to be informed of alternatives to the product. So keeping that in mind, remember, people prepare. Do so. Again, some forward-thinking doctors are using the multi-drug approach to include antibiotics, steroids, and some type of medication. So um, again, my preparedness suggestion is ask your medical doctor about alternative approaches. You know, early in the pandemic, 
the preparedness suggestion I gave, I think it was in episode 13 of um, this podcast. And also in my book that I authored, Staying Prepared in the Age of COVID-19, my suggestion was to build your immune system. And I think that is still key. It's the natural immunity versus vaccination conversation that is almost non-existent in medical circles. But, you know, the conversation goes that your natural immunity will create and build the, the um, antibodies versus, you know, getting some foreign element um, or therapy to try to get your body to somehow um, mock or imitate immunity. But at any rate, the natural immunity approach um, was my suggestion, and that was to take appropriate doses of vitamin D. So it's summer now. You can go out and soak up the sun. Zinc is critical. And of course, vitamin C. Strengthen your immunity. Eat the right foods. Eat, eat healthy foods, foods with fiber. And, you know, again, help build and strengthen your own natural immunity. Speaking of which, before I conclude, I do have another important question for all of us. I want us to use our critical thinking on this one. What option or alternative treatment did President Trump, uh, what is uh, Melania, 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 Rudy Giuliani, and others in that circle take to treat COVID-19? Remember the super spreader event that took place? It was a lot of people that came down with the virus and they were at some, um, I think it was an outdoor event at the White House. And this was pre-vaccine, remember. What did they take? And, and even, even, even uh, more in terms of critical thinking, do you remember when President Trump was helicoptered to Walter Reed Hospital? Wasn't his treatment some kind of cocktail? If I recall, I, I remember like looking at news reports and the doctors were doing like daily briefings and, and there were doctors like at a table with, you know, quite a few drugs. You know, the reports said at the time and, you know, I guess it stands true today that what Trump received was eight gram, an eight gram dose of Regeneron's monoclonal antibody cocktail called REGN CoV2. Remember um, earlier in what I was telling you that there is definitely in some medical circles talk or discussions of a multi-drug approach. 
that's happening now but this happened i wish i had the date when trump contracted covid 19. other reports which are even more detailed report now listen to this that trump received dexamethasone which is a steroid that he received monoclonal antibody therapy which is a combination of antibodies but the controversial aspect about this is that the cells used in regeneron's treatment are from a fetus aborted in the 1970s and guess the other medication that was given to trump you guessed it i hope if not remdesivir and it gets deeper in a more holistic approach he was also treated with zinc vitamin d famotidine which is given for acid reflux so i don't know if that was just you know personal to him melatonin and aspirin why is there no research no panels no conversation about this all of this was pre-injection and trump was fine remember he you know came back in the uh the presidential uh limousine and he was waving and did did he come back on a helicopter with all of the fanfare he was a little out of breath he made it up the steps but he's still ticking and he's fine so that's it for this episode of ready or not prepares thank you very much for joining me until the next episode if you would be sure to like share and subscribe to ready or not prepares if you like our show and want to know more be sure to visit our website at www.readyornotprepares.com or any of our social media platforms we're at ready or not prepares on ig ready or not prep on facebook and you can subscribe to the youtube channel ready or not prepares on air peace